Well, again, everybody, welcome back to the Trick Pox. Enjoy Ghost TV on this beautiful Monday, November 20th. From the Ghost of Bella right there. Welcome back to this channel. Welcome back to my, my channel. Welcome back to this episode. Talking about mental health and self-sabotage, especially anxiety and self-sabotage. A couple of things that I've been thinking about a lot and that I've been dealing with and learning, continuing to always learn how to cope and manage and then, of course, my desire always is to be an example to you of tools and to help you learn the tools that you need in case you're also dealing with similar things. As we all know, this is a very busy season for most of us, November, December. And I just uh, started a new job, which I love. And, of course, that brings a lot of to-dos and a lot of expectations. and And then... Also, it taps into the grief and the loss the last two years of losing significant people in my life. And, and then I think sometimes compiling that with self-sabotage and focusing maybe on the wrong things and not truly appreciating what you have, all of that is what I want to talk to you about. So, first of all, the last um, last few few weeks, I guess, I've been compiling a list of the things that I've been through in the last 11 months, 10 months, 11 months. And normally that's something that isn't always helpful. But in my case, and maybe if you are an anxious person or you have tendencies to overthink, run away from your thoughts, your feelings, etc., it can be helpful to, as my therapist often says, to understand why it makes sense that we feel the way we feel. It's important not to dwell, but to understand kind of what, you, what you've what you been through. Because especially if you're an Enneagram 3 or 7 or 8, we tend to, I mean really for most I think of us, we tend to bypass our experiences by either over-spiritualizing, overworking, overthinking, over-feeling, over-experiencing, over-loving others, you name it, and ignoring things, depending on your type. For me, I tend to overwork and overdo. Even reporting, recording this podcast, I was thinking earlier that maybe this isn't the best thing for me as I'm trying to recover and to feel because this is doing and so, but with that said, I'm still trying to work through all of these things. So when you go back in time and you think about what you've been through, as I said with my therapist, it sometimes helps the anxious person to understand why you're feeling the way you feel. And so I'm not going to go through all the things, but just a few highlights. I would say dad, Daisy, David are probably the three major things. And maybe the last one could be, I don't know, I guess... You could call it Dharma or your purpose. So those, just to alliterate the four Ds, Dharma means purpose. And so, Dad Baker, I would say that's the first thing that has impacted me greatly in terms of my mental health and my anxiety and all that stuff. Losing Dad Baker in February of this year has been a very, very traumatizing thing grieving of course grief is no joke and 
obviously he wasn't my father, but without my father, Dad Baker, as I called him, became a father figure to me the last 20 years. My father died about 24 years ago, 25 years ago. I love you, my dear papi, padres, padre bello. And so Dad Baker became that father figure that I didn't have growing up. And so that was a very huge loss. And and I think what made it especially difficult is because I really believed that he would uh, recover. And so even to the last month, December, January of his life, I was convinced that he would be fine. So it was a shock to my system, imagine my wife and the whole family, to lose him. And my therapist helped me to connect the dots between losing him and my my own father. And even in some ways, yeah, losing my father for sure. It tapped, it touched all that abandonment, orphan, growing up without a dad thing. Number two is, and I'm kind of going through them quickly because I guess I want to um, get to some of the practical things, but Number two is uh, David, uh, our son. He moved away to college uh, about three months ago. And that was, again, you would think this is a great thing. But for me, who lived with my grandma till I got married at age 26, losing, quote unquote, him, I didn't lose him. He didn't move to Africa. He's just a couple hours away. He comes home once or twice a month. So, but again, how I perceive that has been a huge loss, very similar to Dad Baker, meaning losing a male figure, all that, going back to that father wound. And um, I remember the day that he got the letter that he was accepted to UCSB. It was the worst day of my life. And someone could say how selfish. It was only because, again, of what I've never experienced. I've never experienced kids going away to college. I didn't go away to college. That's not how a lot of Hispanic cultures, Nicaraguan culture, how we do things. We are home for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and that's really been my MO, my, my peace is to have my family be complete. My wife, our two daughters, our son, Daisy, our bunny. And that empowers me to do everything that I do as a three. But when that's shaken, it really... Uh, messes with me, messes with my my mind, with my anxious thoughts. It causes a lot of pain and fear and all kinds of things. Going back to my own abandonment issue of having to leave home when I was 10, 11, 12 years of, of age and the trauma that I stored in my body for many years until I finally came out in panic attacks in my late 20s, early 30s. Now, at this season of life, at midlife, Similar stuff has happened as I'm, quote, losing my home. That's what my mind tells me. It's not true, but that's what my anxious thoughts tell me from trauma and my past. Then I fall apart. At least that's what my body and my mind wants to tell me. And my therapist, my mom, my wife, of course, my own self-talk, I work through it, but that's what tends to happen. And so... When David left, really by the time he left, which was, like I said, a few months ago, I was, in many ways, I had grieved him for three months. I think he got the letter in May, April, May, so May, June, July, August. I was just grieving every day, in tears, literally. And uh, that was very, very difficult in light of, as I said, my past and trauma and all that stuff. So dad 
David, and then Daisy, our beautiful dog, she is with us. But also in June, July, we took her to the vet because she wasn't eating and she has all these tumors. And the doctor said, it's not good. That was the worst day of my life again. And uh, by the grace of God, we've done this and that, and she's with us. We did have a close call last week where we thought she was gone, but we even called the whole family home because of how terrible she was feeling. We still don't know what happened, but she's back to her normal self, even though, of course, she still has these tumors. And so that's been very, very difficult because it touches that stability. One of, the, one of the things I've known about myself as a three and just as a human is that I need stability. And when that stability is shaken, even if it's just one chair, quote unquote, that moves, it's very difficult for me. My body creates a ton of cortisol and anxious thoughts. And then my gut usually is where I feel it and anxious thoughts and dizziness and heart palpitations and all of the usual suspects and I have to just process that and I sweat a lot I get very tense and nervous and I get (laughs) wishy-washy or as my doctor used to say you you get jello in your head and I have to then work my system to ground myself and we'll talk about that here in a second kind of what are the tools that I've used and use every day to manage uh, my anxiety so yes Daisy huge huge thing that is still hanging over my head, like David, like Dad Baker. And then the last one is Dharma, again, just to alliterate, which means my purpose, which goes back to my job. Two years ago in August, I lost my job as a senior pastor, and it was actually a very liberating moment for me. But what happened, it was that my money and then my fear of what am I going to do now really hit home, really hit me hard. As a provider, as a man, as a man at midlife, feeling like, okay, I'm irrelevant. I don't, no one wants to hire me. I'm not qualified for this. All all these negative things. And for a year, I did music production and odd jobs. Second year, I began to sub. And that was very traumatizing, difficult. And yet it was actually very, very enjoyable because I love teaching. I love teaching the Bible But in this case, I taught math and ELA, English uh, language, and a lot of those things, which were really beautiful. I worked with a lot of great kids, mostly high school, mostly here in the L.A. area. And then the last few months, this fall, I worked with a beautiful school in Costa Mesa. And then now I'm at this church also in Costa Mesa, which has been a blessing. But all of that process of not having a steady paycheck, of doubting myself, and of not knowing how God was going to provide, really messed with my head, uh, with my purpose, with asking God, Lord, are you done with me? I mean, what am I going to do to provide, to, to create income, to be there for my wife and kids? And we have David going away to college and just the daily life and bills and all that stuff. So very, very difficult. And it wasn't just the income. I was generating income. But as I said, it was more my purpose. I felt so, as a three, as a man, as a human at midlife, I felt so scared and anxious about how is this going to work out. I tried to find God. I tried to find peace. But I really, I felt like it was just, it wasn't happening for me. 
I was serving at my local church, volunteering, loving my family, being faithful to my wife, avoiding any habits or hurts or hang-ups. I'm not saying I was perfect, but and yet I felt so down and so lost, lost up in the sauce. And then I sprained my knee uh, earlier this year, just random things that happened, a bunch of flat tires, and I got this colitis kind of pain in my gut that I've been dealing with now for a while and that's manageable but it definitely bothers me and then by the grace of God I began to oh yeah not exercising not eating very well so all the usual suspects and not having the energy and then dizziness and blah blah anyway so finally I would say as I mentioned in August of this year God provided a beautiful beautiful (laughs) beautiful blessing Um, meeting amazing people, Robbie and Pastor Drew and Leah and Jenny and Rachel and Gianna and Tracy and Chris and Vinny and Jared and Dana. I mean, you name it. Just so many beautiful people that came alongside of me. Brian, (laughs) Saul, uh, Pastor Lou. It came to Karen, Christy, (laughs) that really came to my side to help me. And yet, at times, I feel out of place, which has always been how I feel as an immigrant, as a man of color, as blah, blah, blah. It's like that song by you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's the self-sabotage. I was watching Miss Universe since I was a little boy. My whole family would watch Miss Universe. And Nicaragua, where I'm from, won Miss Universe on Saturday, I believe, a couple days ago. And she deals with mental health and she talks about self-sabotage. She talks about having a panic attack the day of the um, the pageant. And here she is winning. And she's probably a three or a seven. I'm not sure. It's probably a three. And it just allowed me to feel. And that's why I record these podcasts and these episodes that are more honest. Because when someone maybe quote-unquote that wins at life or that seems to be winning at life talks about their brokenness and are vulnerable and they speak honestly, I know that it touches people's lives more than the awards and the successes. Those are easy things for us three to talk about. But when my gut's hurting and I'm anxious and I my head's spinning and I, I'm sweating and nervous and when I'm down in the gutter and trying to hang on, in practicing my tools or not. And I share those things with the world. First, it heals me. And then second, it heals and it helps somebody else that might be going through the same thing, that might feel scared to talk about it, especially if you are a man of color, that's a Christian, and a man of faith, like I am, a pastor and a leader, and yet you feel like you have to hide some of these things from others. So what helps? Well, Crying, counseling, conversation, me too, meaning having other people that can say, you know what, me too, I deal with the same thing, community, you could call it. All those things help me. Working out, eh, not as much, although I should do it. Resting, as I said, vulnerability, counseling has helped me talk therapy really helps me and it's to me it would be like daily sometimes you need it so much that you have to be talking to someone daily maybe not a therapist but a trusted friend I used to 
counsel a couple of friends that we dealt with the same thing. And even though I was supposed to be the coach, it really just became a support system for me because, as I said, there's nothing more beautiful and powerful for a anxious type than to be with other anxious types and to help each other out. Like AA, really, that's the feeling you realize you're not alone. And then, of course, reading a ton of books where, yep, whether it's some body thing or you think this is some horrible disease or all these things are just all part of your anxious thoughts. I've dealt with this my whole life since I was probably five. My mom says that I would sweat tremendously and cry just taking a shower. I would sweat profusely. So I was probably born with this chemically. My mom deals with this in a different way. I don't think my father did. I think my sister, one of them, does as well. And, of course, I do. And I'm sure our kids, et cetera, et cetera. So breaking these, these you could call them curses, I guess, but I think breaking these habits or these chemical imbalances is something that I'm committed to and um, always growing, not always doing it perfectly. Right now, I don't think I'm feeling like I'm managing that, managing this perfectly. I would say the reason why is because of the pace as a heart type I've been in my brain in my head and in my doing way too much I've been overthinking and overdoing a lot of it out of desperation to provide teaching and now church and then in the summer I was just thinking and thinking and spinning things in my head with all the things I mentioned I haven't even in therapy I have cried but I go twice a month. I really should go every week at this, maybe during the season. I was going every week. Now it's every every two weeks. But it's about giving myself, and if you are a hard type, the space to not do, to not think, and to cry. For me, crying is the thing that literally relaxes my body. Writing, doing these podcasts sharing with other people, being honest and vulnerable, crying, as I said again, these are the things that heal me. Nothing else heals me. Of course, the Word of God heals me. And um, prayer, I would say God's Word, reading God's Word. I've been reading just the last few days this devotional called The Hundred Names of God, and I read about the Prince of Peace last week as an Advent series that I'm doing. so powerful. I can't wait to read that again this week. The names of God. I remember when I was at my previous church four years ago or so, I was going through a very similar thing, same gut issues. I've always had gut issues. And I was taking medication, blah, 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 this stuff. And I remember going through the names, 100 names of God, this devotional that, of course, my father-in-law gave me. And that was so, so healing for me. I remember maybe the last time that I went through this or the previous time, I don't know, 2013 or something, 10 years ago or so, I've been through this about two or three times that I went through the book of Genesis and studied the whole book of Genesis logically as an engineer, just, just looking at all the connections and most of all, of course, seeing the grace of God, the powerful God that we serve, how he is, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nitzi, and Jehovah Uzi, which is my favorite, he is my strength. When you grow up with a sense of instability you then need stability to feel better but then when that's not there or you perceive it as not being there then it really messes you up and that's what i've dealt with i haven't 
Well, it's not just a perception. It's true, but it's also how I interpret it. David moving out, Daisy, dad, Dharma. All of those things are instabilities in my life. And someone like me needs a ton of stability to feel at peace, to feel on fire for Jesus, to feel like I can shine with the gifts that God's given me of teaching and leadership and vision and and love and empathy and worship and music and all the rest. But when I am not processing those things enough and I'm doing, doing, thinking, thinking and not crying enough, not feeling enough, not being in my vulnerability enough, then it can get bad and all that stuff happens and all these symptoms and all that stuff. And then the overthinking, blah, blah, blah. So vulnerability is powerful. Sharing is powerful. Crying is powerful. Being in the moment um, in many ways, this podcast is what helps me, even though, yeah, at times I feel like, okay, I'm overdoing it and I shouldn't record or create content, which I'm not creating that much content. Being vulnerable, even though it's just with you, the listener, it's so powerful because it's therapeutic. It's helping you in some way. It's me being honest, not hiding so that I can then shine like a shine shine. And then it gives me the perspective that my son will be home tomorrow, literally, or Wednesday for Thanksgiving, that our daughters are here. Daisy is running around in the backyard as we speak or taking a nap. And Dad Baker, I've been through loss. I lost my father. I lost my grandmother who raised me. And I know that God is faithful and uh, that he, he's with us. I'm not the only one that grieves. And yet <clears throat> we grieve because we love so deeply. And I love this saying, this button that we got at this grief uh, class that I went to when my, I think it was my grandmother died or my father, they, my grandma and dad died within two years of each other as well, like mom and dad Baker. And as shout out to Sue Beanie at New Hope Grief Support, she gave me a button that says, be patient with me, I'm a grieving person. Be patient with me, I'm a grieving person. Nothing more powerful to tell that to myself and to others, be patient with me. I'm a grieving person versus I'm fine. I'm going to do more, think more, plan more, stress more, overfeel, over emote, over empathize, empath- yeah, be over empathic, feel everybody's pain and loss, try to fix the world. Nope, none of that. You're in the hospital yourself and you have to give yourself time. And how long, when will my body not hurt? When will my mind relax? When, when, when? You have to let it be. The uh, colon area is an area that is very sensitive in my family. And, f- and for most people with anxious thoughts, it's where it shows up in your GI area, not to be too TMI. But this is what happens because that area is very sensitive to thoughts, to cortisol, to adrenaline, to stress. And so there are a lot of nerve endings in that area. And so when I'm tense in my head that's where it shows up in my gut and like i said this has been something that <clears throat> i've dealt with for many years sometimes it flares up as i say as i said and other times it's it's fine but all these things are so powerful and back to shaney her name is shaney miss universe and ryan garcia i love these young people because they're three successful beautiful on top of their game And yet they talk so openly about their anxiety and how debilitating it is and what they're doing to cope and to manage it. And both of them are, quote, Christians. And so I relate to that as a 
as a man at midlife. I'm not at 23. I'm not a kid, but I'm thinking if these kids can do it, why not me? And I've done it my whole life. I've recorded many of these podcast episodes, and they usually are the ones that help people the most. But I must say, at times, I feel embarrassed or the stigma of it, or I feel afraid. But I'm realizing that this really is a huge part of my cause, a huge, huge part of my cause and purpose in life is to, yeah, shine, but also to be vulnerable about some of these seasons in life that don't feel so fine, don't feel so awesome. And to help people and to shine, but from our weakness, to be bright like a diamond, but to do it from our, from our vulnerability, to be an example to others, to have it be our cause. That's why I became a certified mental health coach. That's why I wrote articles in Leadership Magazine called High Anxiety. That's why I held a conference in 2013, right? It was 2013, yeah, called the uh, Finding Grace Through Anxiety Conference, where I had my therapist, my doctor, my nurse, all on sta- all up on stage talking about these topics. I mean, and the room was packed. I thought we'd have five people in a, in a small group, and we had 100 people. We probably could have had 1,000 if we had whatever, talked about it more. This is 10 years ago, became, before it became cool, before the pandemic, before Ryan Garcia and Miss Universe and tennis stars and you name it, began to talk about mental health. Justin Bieber and a million other people, especially high achievers, people on top, successful, beautiful people. How much more us, the rest of us that are just average Joes. But as men, especially of color, in the church as Christians, as leaders, to talk about these things so that we can be healthy and lead from a place of health and honesty and vulnerability and create staffs and communities and churches and groups that are healthy, that are self-aware, that are healing, that are vulnerable with each other, that can support each other through our own pain. Because we all deal with stuff, whether it's rejection or loneliness or anger, frustration, fear, anxiety, all that stuff, loneliness, sadness, like you don't fit in, depending on your Enneagram type. We all have at least nine vices or coping mechanisms that we, um, that we use to manage our, um, our anxious thoughts, our angry thoughts. Not everyone is anxious. 40%, 50%, I think it's a lot, pe- a lot of people now. Post-pandemic, the pandemic definitely messed me up. Like it messed up a lot of people. My church died. We went through a major thing, both my wife and I and our jobs. Our marriage is beautiful and always growing. But I remember that the pandemic, for us anxious types, it really, it messed us up. And and then I had a, a spiritual director that was hearing my story. And I told him that it had been two years. And he's like, Trig, two years, you're barely coming out of the ER room, out of the ICU. You're just starting the journey after two years. Whereas, again, the achiever in me is thinking, man, two years, I should be running by now. Again, I'm still just barely crawling. He said, David, you're just barely crawling. That's normal. I was talking to a friend that I coached about the grief and the loss of her father two years ago, and we were just catching up last, last week. And I said, how are you doing? She's like, I'm just beginning to get in touch with what happened two years ago. And I said, yep. So two years is nothing. Two years ago, I went through the pandemic the loss of my job. My wife lost her job. Her mom passed away that summer. 
And then a year later, her father passed away. And then, as I mentioned, my four Ds. I mean, it's been, it's been quite the journey. And I'm not alone. I know that many, many, many people, I listen to so many podcasts where high top leaders are talking about the same things that I'm talking about. And it's not just adults. We're talking about kids, children, teens, preteens, kids that are 8, 9, 12, 13, 15, 25, 35, 45, 65, 75, 85. This is a worldwide necessity. And the stigma is so strong still in the church for men, for women, in the, in the workplace, in the church. My goodness, I've been to so many churches where I would talk about these things and people would run from me or they would come to me in secret and private and say, yeah, me too. But the pastors, the churches, the systems just weren't equipped to talk about these things. And yet this is what I love to do. This is what I'm, I believe I'm here on this earth to do. As well as, of course, to minister and preach and teach and music. and But it's the stuff underneath that matters the most. Post-pandemic, post all the political trauma and all the stuff that's happened here in the U.S. and worldwide. Now you think of wars and, and what's happening in Israel and Ukraine and inflation here in the U.S. and all these things. Are, are there good things? Of course. Are there positive things? Yes. Self-sabotage is real. I have a beautiful church, beautiful staff, beautiful setup, paid offices, gear, you name it. And yet at times, because of the last two years, et cetera, et cetera, I can self-sabotage and think the sky's falling or all these negative things. It's not true. We have to ground ourselves, breathe. <sighs> ground ourselves. Uh, I remember... or. Just Shaney was talking about Miss Universe, talking about how she plays puzzles on her phone. And my mom does it a lot. I think that's part of her therapy. I'm not much into puzzles. I like to record and meaning these podcasts. I like to read the Bible. I like to talk. That's more my therapy. People, I'm not much into video games or puzzles or that kind of thing. But definitely writing, talking, therapy, recording these podcasts. This is what heals me, resting, taking time off, away from the mess and away from the noise. Downtime, I would say downtime is huge for us anxious uh, empaths and highly sensitive people, as we call them, HSPs, right? This is what we need, downtime, because we absorb everyone's emotions when we're in a social environment. If there's three people, we absorb all three. If it's 100, we absorb all 100. It's a gift because we can then connect with those people, but it's also a curse because you're absorbing their pain and their anxious thoughts and their whatever it is. We have to turn off that faucet. We have to ground ourselves. We have to take time away from producing and from entertaining ourselves, from doing, doing, doing. And to get in touch with those, quote, negative feelings, which is not easy, not easy for me. But when I do, when I cry, when I grieve, I cry this morning so hard like I hadn't in a while. It heals us. It, it gets us in touch with God, with Jesus, with his grace, with all that's good in our lives. The beautiful mornings, the beautiful sunsets, the gorgeous, just life that we live. And it makes us be people of gozo, of joy. And makes us real human beings, not just human doers. And that's what the world needs right now, is people that can feel and process and, and look to Jesus, the author and the maker of our faith. I hope that that helps. If you would like to coach with me and be in community with me, 
I would love that. Go to davidtrigger.com slash coaching. You can email me at triggerdavidtrigger.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at David Trigger. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next time. Adios. Da-da-da-da.